Amen. It's good to see all those faces in the choir. Our praise team here was just saying, look at how many people there were. It feels so strange to see that many people in such a confined space these days. Uh, we are going to release details uh, probably in the next couple of days about our plan for June. We're kind of taking it one month at a time as situations uh, change with regulations, um, but look for uh, information on our website and Facebook page, and we're going to send out emails to all of our church family about what our plans are for June. Uh, we will not have a choir like that for some time, um, but uh, you will find out that we will be uh, able to gather in some shape or form here in the next month or so at some point. But for now, we're going to continue to uh, broadcast like this. Uh, we're going to keep walking through this magnificent true story of the, the birth of the church that we see in the book of Acts. And it's not just any church. This is an unstoppable force that within a few, uh, about 30 years or so, will have spread into every corner of the empire uh, at that time. So it's amazing to see how this ragtag group of uneducated fishermen from the, the country of North Galilee how they become this unstoppable force because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And today is all about celebrating the advent of the Holy Spirit, just as important as the advent of Christ is the advent of the Spirit. It's important to remember that God came to earth in the form of a spirit to fill his people. And after hearing so much about churches that are struggling these days, churches that are in decline or closing their doors, it's encouraging to me. Uh, we were talking with Nate last week about how I just love Acts because it's so encouraging to see an unstoppable church doing its thing, going out and accomplishing their part in God's mission for the world. You know, Christianity by its nature is an expansive Religion. It was always meant to be shared and given away uh, with others. Christ set the example for the church by giving his own life away for us and, and for the world. And now we see that kind of sacrificial love that it's so effective in spreading the good news into all of creation. You know, God's kingdom, even to this day, continues to break into our world and expand in ways that we can't even understand as, as God makes his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's not expanding through military conquest or through any kind of political power or some really smart people. It's, it's not doing uh, its thing through those kinds of means. The Holy Spirit is bringing God's kingdom to bear in these subversive, unexpected, yet powerful ways. And that's what we're seeing in the book of Acts. You know, like I said, the, the gospel, uh, the core of what Christianity is all about is about this generous, self-giving love of God expressed in the person of Christ Jesus. And when the body of Christ, in turn, starts to give that love away through the gracious gospel of Jesus, then we see that the, the church is unstoppable. The, the, the core of Christianity was always meant to be centrifugal. I think centrifugal literally means center fleeing, uh, going out from the center. When we're transformed in our core, the grace of God goes out from us into our families, into our workplaces, and into our communities in order to transform them for God's good purposes. So that's 
we're going to see today in the book of Acts about the, the first church. We're going to see First Baptist Jerusalem, as I like to refer to them, how they are transformed inwardly and how they begin to live out the kingdom in ways that are not meant to be kept for themselves as a holy huddle, but in ways that are sacrificial and going out into all creation. So I'll ask you to stand where, wherever you are today in honor of God's word as I read our text today from Acts chapter 4. If you're able to stand and get off the couch today, then great. If you're not, that's fine. Sit where you are as well. Our text is Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37, as we see a beautiful picture of what the unstoppable church looks like. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, one of my favorite things, if I wasn't in ministry, I would love to be like a high school basketball coach. I love coaching basketball. For probably at least 15 years now, I've had the privilege of coaching uh, either rec league or church league basketball with teenagers, now my own son that I get to coach the last uh, three or four years. Now, I love, you know, my favorite part of coaching is taking, you know, this ragtag group of kids and seeing how they can actually buy into the idea of being a team and working together. You know, I love... Uh, taking a kid who doesn't have a lot of self-confidence, maybe they're really tall and lanky and slow and uncoordinated. That's great. That's fine. Just stand in the middle of the defense and clog up our 2-3 our zone there and, and don't let them have any easy inside shots. You become a pivotal role player. Maybe a kid is just not very good at offense. He's not very good at scoring. That's, that's fine. Become the best defensive player and rebounder that you can be. Be the Dennis Rodman of the 90s Bulls, right? Be the, the role player that makes the whole team better. Also, it's true when you have a hotshot kid who thinks that they're the best, you know, I like helping them understand that they too have a role to play to make the team better. Oh, you're a quick dribbler? That's great. Okay, learn how to get into the lane, but then kick it out to an open teammate as the defense collapses on you. Oh, you're a good shooter? Okay, fine. Learn how to set screens for your teammates so that you can get open and have a, a good, clear shot and that your teammate may have a chance to score as well. It's all about playing your part. I, I love my, my coaching hero has got to be Rick Bird at, at Belmont. You know, he for years took team after team of these kids that were smaller and less athletic and less coordinated and, and not as in shape as some other teams and he just dominated the field because he got them to work together as a team. I heard him say at a luncheon one time that it's amazing what you can accomplish as a team when no one cares who gets the credit, including him. The, the media guides wanted to put his face on the cover. He said, no, put the players 
on the cover of the media guide. It's not about me. And, and it was true. That team did incredibly well throughout his many, many years at Belmont of coaching. You know what? The, the key fact that I'm driving at here is unity, working together as a unit. And that's the first of the four key traits of an unstoppable church that I want to show you today. You know, we see that in this text here, there's these key traits of what it means to be a, a great church that really is playing its part effectively in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And the first key trait is unity. We must be unified. Look at verse 32 again. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. The believers had learned to, to listen. They had bought into the greatest coach of all time. They had bought into the system that Jesus Christ had been teaching and exemplifying throughout his ministry. They were all in now on what Jesus was saying. The, the new commandment he gave them to love one another as he has loved them. To serve one another, that, that the least shall be the greatest. They had bought into all that. And they were acting in unity and not caring about who got the credit, which is amazing. Because remember in the gospels, these guys were always jockeying for position. They were arguing over who got to sit next to Jesus at meals. They were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Remember the mother of James and John trying to like bribe Jesus just about to make sure her son's got a good place in the new kingdom. It, it was crazy to see how immature they were. But now that they're full of the Holy Spirit, now after Pentecost, they're starting to, to function as a team, as one, who no one cares about individual credit. It's all about the kingdom and the team of the new covenant church of Christ. Well, they do care that Jesus gets the credit. They don't care if they get the credit. They want all the credit to go to the Lord. They were of one heart, verse 32 says. The Bible talks about the heart as being the core of, of who we are. It's, it's the seed of all of our emotions and our will and our desires that, that come out of our heart. That's why Proverbs 4 says to guard our hearts. It's the wellspring of life. From it flow all these things of our, our will. So believers should have the same will no matter who we are or where we come from because our hearts have been transformed. Our will becomes the will of God. Our will not be, Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will be done, but thine, O Lord. Your will be done, not mine. We should share the same fundamental desires because we have the same fundamental heart. We've declared our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate love of God and neighbor. And when we do that together, it unifies us. You know, I've been blessed to have the privilege of meeting Christians who, who live in Australia or who lived in Spain or who lived in Guatemala or who lived in Belarus. And, and something amazing happens when I, I meet these pastors or, or other Christians who live in these countries. As soon as I meet them, there's an immediate rapport because we're brothers, we're sisters in Christ. We are of the same family. We share the same genetic makeup. It's an amazing thing when you meet a stranger and yet you feel like you've known them your whole life because you really are truly closer than blood relatives. We call this unity the communion of the saints. It's something that I long for so desperately 
uh, to, to be together and, and enjoy that communion. But the reality is that even while we're apart, even while we're quarantined and sheltering in place, we still are one body. There's a spiritual unity that connects us even in the midst of social distancing. And then it says in verse 32 also that these early Christians were of one soul. The, the Greek word for soul here is psyche. It really has to do with the mind. Even their thoughts were unified, which makes sense, right? Because inevitably, if their hearts had the same DNA, then their minds would also share the same genetic makeup. Their mental unity was inevitable as, as the base unity of their hearts kind of bubbled up and effervesced into their minds, uniting them in their very thoughts. How many churches have been stopped by disunity? Probably all of them at some point. I, I, it's funny, driving through the country, you can see you know, New Hope Baptist Church and New Life Baptist Church. And someone told me a long time ago, whenever you see New Something Baptist Church, it was probably a church split that, that became this other new church. And God uses that all the time. He, he works good out of bad. But churches are stopped dead in their tracks by disunity and division all the time. You know, our enemy loves to sow disunity and division among the body of Christ because it's so effective it's stopping churches. When churches all get on the same page and remember that our core DNA is the same, they're unstoppable. But when Satan comes and sows those seeds of division, uh, usually it's over silly things about pews and who sits where and about musical styles and about carpet colors and things that don't really matter to the kingdom. And yet those divisions run rampant. I'll be honest with you, I... I've kind of been dreading this summer because it's, it's an election year and I know that our enemy uses politics to divide Christians in this country in such a powerful way. I pray that as people of faith, we would not allow our politics to sow those deep divisions of discord and disunity between us this year during a intense election year. I encourage you to vote and play your part. I think that's important for Christians to do that, but to do so maintaining the unity of the spirit in our churches. You know, even in churches where everybody looks like everybody else and comes from the same kind of backgrounds, it's still difficult to maintain the unity of the spirit in those situations. Here in Jerusalem, it, they're not all the same. It's a, it's a big melting pot. Remember just a few days before Pentecost, you know, at Pentecost, 3,000 believers were added to the 120 believers. Where did those 3,000 come from? Remember Acts chapter 2, verse 9. Look at what verse 9 says. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, all were descending upon Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. The 3,000 that were added to the church came from these people. They didn't even speak the same language, much less have the same kind of ethnic makeup or cultural background. It was every nation, tribe, and tongue dwelling in unity. How good and pleasant it is, Psalm 133 says, when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. 
And the truth is that if you've been buried with Christ and raised to a whole new life, then you are my brother or sister, and we should be one. We could talk about that for a long time, but we gotta, we gotta keep moving, okay? Uh, before, I, before we get into the next point, I, I do wanna say that just because we are unified doesn't mean that we all look the same, right? It doesn't mean that we're clones of each other. We're many parts, one body, many gifts, one spirit. Reminds me of that youth song, Lauren, you probably know what I'm talking about. Many gifts, one spirit. Uh, we are not clones of each other, and that's okay. That's actually a good thing. There's strength in the diversity of the church. When I was a, a youth pastor for 12 years, I, I kind of pushed back against um, mission trip t-shirts. You know, I, I would see these groups of teenagers in the airport or in some city at a tourist thing, and they'd all have on the same t-shirt, and they're inevitably acting horribly, right? And they're not giving a good name to the name of Jesus, it's like putting a fish on your car and driving like a maniac. It, you don't, I didn't want our youth to, to be a bad example for Christ, but I also wanted them to, to just blend in and be aware of their surroundings and not call attention to themselves. And I think they, they liked that, not being treated like kids on a field trip, but you know, to be respected enough to, to try to blend in and act normal in the culture that they were in. It's always a challenge for teenagers to act normal. But in doing so, we still maintain unity of the spirit, even though we didn't look the same. There's a great quote that I found from a guy named Bishop Westcott. He was an Anglican priest in the late 1800s. He said, external visible unity is not required for the invisible unity of the church. So we don't have to have the same shirt. We don't have to wear the same sashes or whatever kind of weird stuff that some churches do. We can all look different and be parts of the same body. That's really important to remember. All right, now we'll move on. Uh, look at verse 33. The second trait of the unstoppable church is power. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You know, I'm convinced that churches are not effective in our culture and our, our nation today because they've lost the power of the Holy Spirit. They've lost that deep power that comes with being part of the people of God. And I, I love the Greek in verse 33. Go back, Travis, to verse 33. With great power. In Greek, uh, the word for great is mega, and the word for power is dynamē, like dynamite. So literally it says, with mega dynamite, these apostles are sharing forth their testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ which was so inflammatory. Because remember last week, we talked about how the Sadducees and those who were in authority in Jerusalem, they, they preached against the resurrection. They denied that there was such thing as resurrection from the dead. And into that old heresy, the apostles are just dropping truth bombs of mega dynamite onto these lies. And they're just blowing up these heresies with the truth of the resurrection of Christ. I love that imagery. Many of you uh, who are part of our church know Steve Wilkinson. Steve's one of our young uh, youth workers. He recently graduated from grad school, and uh, he's just a, a great guy who I, I love uh, getting to know Steve. Recently, I was talking with him about his future, and he's got a lot of things up in the air. You know, he's finished his degree. He's, he's enrolled in seminary now. He doesn't know uh, what's next. And I was asking, are you anxious about that? Are you, are you worried about what's next? He said, nah, man, Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> I said, what? He said, what, what can't he do? I'm going to be fine. 
Jesus rose from the dead. He's got all the power I need to, to help me be where I need to be. And Steve's right. Jesus rose from the dead. There's power in that. We don't need to fear or worry because Jesus rose from the dead. What can't he accomplish in our world? What's too great for him? He's already defeated our, our worst enemy. The power of sin and the law is death. And Jesus has conquered death forever. There's power in that testimony. The valley of dry bones was transformed into the living army of the Lord. He's done that work in my life. I know he's done it in some of your lives and he can do it again. And we long to see that power come through God's churches, through Woodmont Baptist Church and through other Bible-believing churches where the spirit reigns and rules. The third key trait of the unstoppable church is found also in verse 33. At the end of verse 33, it says, great grace was upon them all. Great grace. Again, in Greek, that's mega grace. It's an incredible thing to see this uh, mega grace that is indwelling the people of God in the early church. You know, grace means unmerited favor. It's the unearned gift of God alone. It's so important for us as Christians to maintain what Scotty Smith calls gospel sanity. To remember, Brad and I were talking about this this morning, it's not about our performance. If you don't come to church when we reopen the building, that's okay. God doesn't love you any less for not coming to a building because you've been saved by grace alone. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that today we're sustained and conformed to the image of Christ by grace alone? It's not about having your quiet time. It's not about how good your prayer life is. It's, it's all God's grace. It's gift. Even our own faith is a gift of God alone. And one day we will be resurrected to glory by grace alone. It's so important to remember. And the only response, the only appropriate response to great grace is gratitude. Thankfulness that overflows in worship, that opens our hands to the Lord and says, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. I, I, we don't know how sinful we were, how flawed we were, how broken we actually were. And we don't know the depths of God's amazing love and his great grace. We can't fathom the riches of grace that he has lavished on us as children of God. When we start to connect those dots, we are restored to gospel sanity. And that's a good thing in our crazy world. The unstoppable church is one that abounds in the knowledge of the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The fourth and final key that we see in this text here is care. Care for one another. You know, in a world where it's so easy to, to not care. It's, it's so easy to float along and just be apathetic to what's going on around us. We as Christians are called to care, to actually be concerned for what's going on with one another. Look at the end of verse 32 again. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him, <coughs> excuse me, was his own, but they had everything in common. And then verse 34, there wasn't a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. That's a church that cares deeply, sacrificially 
for one another. Now, some people may read that and get panicked. When I read it earlier, you may have had warning bells going off and say, that's communism. We're not doing that. I worked hard for what's mine and I'm going to keep it. This is not communism at all. I love the way that Kent Hughes and his commentary, I'm loving his Acts commentary, by the way. I'm getting a lot of this from uh, Kent Hughes. He puts it this way. Communism says what's yours is everyone's. Christianity says what's mine is yours. Communism says what's yours is everyone's. The authority of the government dictates that what's yours belongs to everybody. Christianity says I freely hold all that I have with an open hand for any as they have need, because what's mine is, is yours. The, the finger points inward, not at others. It's so important for Christians to remember that. We don't have to live like miserable misers who are always worried about having enough and accumulating more and, and who are debilitated by greed on a daily basis. Christians are free to live with a generous spirit, a joyful, cheerful giver, is what we can become, and we're free to care for others. You know, during this pandemic, we've, we've all known someone who's lost their job or, or, or their income or way of life during this time, and it's been amazing to me to see our church rally around some of our members who have lost their income during this season and how they've sacrificially cared for those in our uh, congregation who've had trouble making ends meet during this season. And the giving to our church budget has remained strong too, even in a, a tough time of uh, economic situation in our country. People have dug deep to support the work of Woodmont Baptist Church, and I'm so grateful for that. And caring for one another's material needs is really more than just surface kind of paying bills. It's meeting spiritual needs. It's being the body of Christ more effectively. It shows that we are a family of faith that really shares the same DNA now. There's a guy in our church, you wouldn't want me to name him, but he, he loves to feed people. And he literally has taken hundreds of meals to those who are vulnerable. He's worn a mask and gloves and rang the doorbell and left the meal sitting on their porch for hundreds of meals during this time. Another family that, that you would know that wouldn't want me to name them, they they like to feed people as well here at the church. And while we're not meeting, they found another outlet, a nonprofit in their community that they're able to cook for sanitary food and to leave it at that nonprofit. Finding ways to care for others and to meet needs sacrificially, even during this time. The unstoppable church is not apathetic. The unstoppable church cares deeply about each other and about the needs that they see around them. We say, what's mine is yours. We see how deeply that care ran in the last two verses of this text when we hear about this guy, Barnabas. Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, they gave him a nickname, Barney, which means son of encouragement. A Levite, a priest, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet because he knew that sowing that riches that he had had into the work of the church would pay far greater dividends than any field would for his own wealth. Barnabas becomes a rock star in the story of Acts too. You're going to see how important his care would become to the work of the early church as we continue on through the book of Acts. You know, many people 
in our society uh, have determined that the church these days is irrelevant, just doesn't matter. And I think a lot of times they're right. I think the church, like I said, has lost its power in, in bringing healing and in, in, in bringing reconciliation to the world. I think that's true. A lot of churches have become so caught up in their own <clears throat> programs, in their own numbers, in their own uh, ministries that they are, are far from being an unstoppable church. But think about this. Imagine with me a church where the unity is real, where the divisions are squashed, where they are of one heart and one soul and one mind, where they don't fight over silly things. They have a spiritual maturity that looks past it, where they lock arms together for the sake of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom. Imagine a church full of great power, where people are healed, where chains of addiction fall off, where marriages are restored, where, where children become saved in the knowledge of Jesus Christ by being raised in a Christian household, where racial healing actually takes place in a supernatural way. Imagine a church that's overwhelmed by the mega grace of God, a church where worship flows freely from people who are grateful for what God has done for them, where worship is not contrived or forced, but people are joyful to give God the praise for what he's done in their lives and for his goodness of grace. And imagine a church that cares for one another in tangible, sacrificial, cheerful ways where they love one another as family and they serve one another with a supernatural selflessness. That church will be unstoppable. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray that you would come to our churches, come to Woodmont Baptist. Help us to be a church that is unified by the gospel, where supernatural power flows through us into a world that desperately needs it, where people are astounded by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, and where we care for one another deeply and sacrificially. God, we we don't want these things for our own sake or our own comfort, God. We want these things because we want to see our churches advance your kingdom in power. We want to see lives transformed, lives changed for eternity in billion-year investments in souls. God, I pray that you would help us to be unified, help us to be full of power, Help us be full of grace and help us to care for one another. It's only by your spirit that we can accomplish these things. We thank you for this special Pentecost Sunday when you sent your spirit to indwell the hearts of those who believe in you.